we're going to talk about being different for the next couple of weeks. Being, being different. Uh, Christians are often seen as, as different than others, but not in the best way, always. Uh, they're, they're often seen as different, but, but unfortunately, uh, that, that means that sometimes they're seen as out of touch with reality. Um, sometimes they're seen as kind of above others, or, or someone who, who lives a certain way but looks down on everybody that doesn't. And so, so sometimes Christians are, are seen as being different because, unfortunately, they're called more judgy than other people. Uh, sometimes uh, they, they're different because uh, they wear Christian t-shirts, and so they are very noticeable. If I'm ever going to do a Christian t-shirt, uh, you, know, you know how they did that whole candy line? Did you, any of you remember this, where it was like, like certain candy bars, but they put Christian phrases. So it's like, like the Reese's, but it's Jesus on it across. Yeah, so, so if I did one, it would, it would be the Reese's Pieces sign, but it would say, Jesus Pieces available to you. <laughs> Jesus Pieces. Okay, so, that's, so if any of you want to take that and run with it, just give me like 5% and, uh, and, and the idea is, is all yours from there. This, the scriptures have a word for being different. And, and that word is holy. So in the Bible, the word, the word holy is how the scriptures talk about both God and people. And, and, we, and, and sometimes the idea of holy, the word holy, sounds high and holy. It sounds like it's either unattainable or sometimes the idea is a little bit stuffy. If, oh, they're so holy, you hear a lot of people maybe outside of faith look at a Christian and say, oh, they're, so, they're so holy. Usually it's with air quotes, holy, which means that they don't actually think that they're holy, but that they think that they think they're holy. But this is what happens. But we want to reclaim the word holy at Life Path because we, we want to be holy, but maybe not in the same way that people seem to think about it. So we're calling our little four-week talk, we're calling it holy-ish. Uh, holy, but in the types of ways that Jesus was holy. All right, so, so we're going to take a look at our foundational passage that the disciple Peter wrote to Christians who were scattered across the Roman Empire in the book of 1 Peter, okay? And here's what Peter writes when he's writing to encourage Christians. This is the former disciple of Jesus, the one who walked on the water with Jesus, the one who also, after walking on water with Jesus, denied Jesus, the one who Jesus forgave and offered grace to, and then the one who led the church through its early stages of growth. And here's, in his older age, here's what he writes to uh, other disciples who would be following Jesus. He says this to them. He says, So prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then, but now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say you must be holy because I am holy. All right, so, so first of all... Um, we need to understand that when we talk about holy, even though it's an attribute given to God often, it's also then uh, frequently passed on to people. People are called to be holy 
just as God is holy. And this phrase comes over and over again. In Greek, the word um, is uh, hagios. That means holy. And it means set apart. It means differentiated. Okay? So to be holy means to be altogether different. Okay? Uh, now, now, whenever you see a phrase in the scriptures that say, for the scriptures say, it's a good question to ask. They do? Where? So, we're going to take a look at what Peter was talking about. And there's many, many passages like this. But in Leviticus 19, give the following instructions to the entire community of Israel. You must be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. This phrase occurs over and over in the Old Testament. And usually, what it means is this. It means, hey, I am holy and, and removed in a unique way from the rest of all of creation. So you are to be different as well. And usually it was given with caution. So do this and this and this to keep yourselves clean and pure. Many of the times after I am holy, I, Lord your God, am holy, so you should be holy. It's about making sure that we don't get like tainted. That we don't, that we don't uh, become like anybody else out there. Uh, often, holiness, something is called holy and it means be careful, right? The Ark of the Covenant was holy, which meant use caution. If you touch it, you will die. It is dangerous. Be careful. It's this idea of, of, of holiness. Now, now, here's the interesting thing. Before we get any further into that, um, the attribute of God being holy, sometimes we talk about God's attributes and we put them all in a list as if they're like various kind of petals of a flower. You know, God's, God's almighty, God's holy, God's loving, God's, um, you know, all of these different things, omniscient, you know, omnipotent, all these omnis that we like to do. But, but here's the thing. Uh, God being holy is not a core attribute. It is a secondary attribute because to be set apart, there has to be something to be set apart from. Before the beginning of the foundations of the world, when there, before God created, God was not holy because God was all there was. <laughs> when God spoke creation in the story of Genesis, there was the creation and then there was the one who was holy from that creation, separate from that creation. But what God was before God was separate, even when God was just dwelling in oneness, was, was love. So the core of God being love that the scriptures talk about, and we can't get away from this, God's, everything that flows out of God's love, all these other attributes flow out of God's love. So God's holiness is actually an attribute of God's love. God's righteousness is an attribute of God's love. God's mercy is an attribute of God's love. God's, God's power is even an attribute of God's love. There, so, so when we talk about God being holy, we need to understand that it's not a moral thing first and foremost. It means that God is unique, different than everything else. And so in the Old Testament, he says, be different just like I am different. And so, um, so in the Old Testament, holy means separate from, okay? Over and over again. Be holy, be separate from all other people, you know, everything like that, and it's, and it's often things that are holy. Okay, so, in the New Testament, here we go, we're going we're gonna to pick up some speed here. In the New Testament, there's this, this uh, new word that comes out of this. It's called 
uh, hagiazo, and it means, it's the verb of holy, and it means to make something holy. And so in the New Testament, we find out that things aren't just holy, like often in, in, in the Old Testament, but, but things can be made holy, and people are made holy. So people become holy through two ways. Number one, uh, by Jesus himself, through the reconciling death on the cross. Jesus does something where we join with Jesus in no longer being under the power of sin and death. Because Jesus is set apart from the powers of the world, because he's defeated sin and death, we join with Jesus and we become set apart in union with God in the same way. So, so there's a holy thing that God does. You don't do it. We just receive grace. Okay? So Jesus makes us holy and the Holy Spirit is given to us to empower us, like in Ephesians. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes, put on your new nature created to be like God, righteous and holy. In the midst of all of this, over and over, what we see is when we talk about holiness, it is never just some high and mighty morality. What it is, is an imitation of God. Be like me. I am holy. Be like God, righteous and holy by the power of the Holy Spirit. So over and over and over again, this changes, in the New Testament, it changes how we see this separateness lived out. So in the New Testament, because we are made holy by Jesus, and we're supposed to be holy like Jesus, hopefully this isn't getting too, too um, meddled up for you, what it means is that the way that Jesus was holy becomes the way that people are supposed to be holy. And that means that there's the shift from separate from. How do you spell separate with an A? Boom, there we go. The shift is from separate from to separate for. Okay? So, and, it, and it's not clean and clear, but there's a new emphasis. Much of the Old Testament, you're, you're separate for the sake of others too. But mostly... The Old Testament's holiness is concerned of being separate from the world. But in the New Testament, Jesus' emphasis begins to say what holiness truly is. Now that you have the Spirit, it's to be set apart for something, not just from something. You are set apart and unique for the sake of others. And that is incredibly important. So be Christ-like. Jesus breaks down kind of unattainable holiness and extreme separatism, and he gives holiness a new texture. And that, that new nature, this different way of being, is, is something absolutely unique. And that, in the world, will always be different. And different, like Jesus, equals holy. When we are different in the ways that Jesus was different, we are living holy. Now, that's very different than many of our ideas that we've been given about holiness if we've grown up in the church. So I want to talk about some, uh, some misunderstandings of, of kind of holiness. Because in today's world, when we think, even if we get the idea that holiness means to be separate, um, we go in one of two directions. And the first one is, uh, is complete removal. Okay. And some of you grew up with this. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. Some of you grew up with understanding that, that to be holy and to be set apart meant that you are completely removed from the world. My, my Anabaptist spiritual ancestors, they were completely removed from the world. 
the same group that the Amish came out of, if you're familiar with the Amish people. And so their understanding was to live a holy life, you had to be so different that you had no interaction with the world around you. Okay? Complete removal. But here's the thing. Um, set apart is not equal to removal. Okay? Set apart in the way of Jesus means active engagement in the world in the way that Jesus had active engagement. Okay? Um, so, so what we see, uh, for example, in John 17, here we go. Jesus is praying for his disciples. And he says, I have given them, meaning his disciples, I've given them your word. Um, and the world hates them. We, we get bent out of shape with the word hate because it, it has all of this emotional, um, emotional baggage that we have uh, in our language. The word hate in the scriptures means removal of blessing. Just like uh, love means care for, to bless actively. So hate means to not bless. The world is not going to bless these people. They're not going to support the direction that they're going, which is often true when we live in the way of Jesus. The world um, around us doesn't see the value. I've given them your word, and the world hates them, rejects them, because they don't belong to the world, just as I don't belong to the world. I'm not asking you, this is so important, friends, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy. Here comes the holiness again. Make them holy. So in other words, make them set apart. Make them different from the world, not by removing them, but by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. So let, let the heart of God dwell so deeply in them that that is what makes them different from the world around them. Just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them, and I give myself as a holy sacrifice so that they can be made holy by your truth. Um, there is so much to a passage like this that should teach us about our posture with the world around us. The temptation on the one end is to say, I will be so completely removed that I don't ever want the, the, the bad, scary world to touch me. And yet we're told that the Spirit of God is something that casts out fear, that perfect love casts out fear, that if we are actively following Jesus, it will always lead us to areas of brokenness. It will lead us to people who uh, don't know Jesus. It will lead us to loving areas that might feel risky. This is the way of the holy life uh, in Jesus. It doesn't mean I run away from everybody that's not like me. It means I learn to engage with the world around me in the spirit and character of Jesus because I have been made holy. That's the whole thing. You've been made holy, so live holy over and over and over and over again. Paul starts all of his letters to the sanctified believers, meaning the holy, that's the agiazo that I pulled off. To the ones who've been made holy, live holy lives. And then he goes on and he starts talking about what that looks like. And so, so it's really important that we understand that. Now the second trap is, uh, is um, we'll do this one in purple. The second trap is complete assimilation. So we look and we say, we don't want to be the weirdo. Anybody ever looked at Christians and thought that their assimilation is so much harder to spell when you're on a whiteboard? Um, anybody ever looked at Christians, some of you even as Christians, and been like, oh, I don't want to be looked at like that? Like, that's, that's, that's weird. That's wacky. And, and so therefore, I'd rather just kind of blend in. And so what we end up doing is we end up doing like the kind of the, 
the, the, the twinsy thing where, you know, we end up just looking kind of like everybody else over. Whoops, that person doesn't look like everybody else because he has a leg growing out of his hip. Um, you know, and so, so everybody looks the exact same. And, and, and we blend in with no, no desire to be different either because we don't understand the goodness of the love of Jesus and how it changes the way that we live or just because we don't want to be weird. And, 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 and to say that, it sounds really goofy to say we don't want to be weird. But sometimes we don't want to be outed as Christians and the issue isn't just because Christians have a bad reputation. It's because we're so afraid that we're going to be rejected, mostly unfounded fear, because if we're actually living like Jesus, we'll find that many people are welcoming and longing for that kind of love and care and, and, and interest and compassion. But what we end up doing is we end up just assimilating. So holy is so kind of irrelevant. Irrelevant. Can you tell I've been sick all week? Oh my goodness. Um, we forget that Jesus made us to live uniquely. I want to introduce you to Lorena. Lorena uh, lives in um, central, let's see, east central Mexico, okay? And, uh, and Lorena is very unique because Lorena is uh, an award-winning ultra-marathoner, except that she grew up in one of the smallest villages in Mexico, and, uh, and she did not grow up, she grew up in an active culture, but she didn't grow up in an ultra-racing culture. So just take a look at her. I want to tell you a couple things about her in just a minute. Maria Lorena Ramirez is, uh, is a part of the Tarahumara people who are known as the light-footed ones, okay? And so her family travels long distances to get to school and to get uh, food and to go to market, and they just run everywhere because they don't use any public transportation and they live in the mountains. And she began racing because she loved to run so much, and there was a little race in her town, and her father used to race. And she won. But the problem is that she won in a long skirt and her sandals. And when others began to notice and say, you could be faster, she said, yeah, I don't think so. And she continued to race and continue. She's in her early 20s right now. Netflix has a killer special on her. It's fabulous. It's only 20, 28 minutes long. Incredibly beautiful documentary. Lorena lines up for marathons and ultramarathons with all of these runners, with all of their high-tech stuff. And she's in her sandals and her long skirt running over mountains. She holds it in her hand so that she doesn't trip herself. And it's the only thing that she'll run in. And, and everybody looks at her peculiarly. And here's what I love. This is, this is the best part. She was given by a sponsor. She was given a pair of running shoes. And so the cameraman's watching her, and she's being interviewed as she opens this bag of shoes, and she takes a look at it. And, and she is asked, are you going to wear the shoes? And she looks at it, and she said, I don't think so. 
everybody who wears these shoes is behind me. <laughs> Isn't that great? Everyone who wears these shoes is behind me. Say, well, this is what everybody does, Lorena. This is what you do to, to win, to get ahead. And, and she says, you know what? Why would I imitate others that are behind me? <laughs> I've found something. Why would I want to change what I know is good and true and, and beautiful? She's completely unafraid to, to be different. Uh, we, I, I think sometimes we fail to see the beautiful benefit of living a life that is in Jesus in the unique ways. Um, the, the fact that, that as we lay our lives down, we actually come to life in a new way. Why would we want to mirror the rest of the world when we know that that doesn't get them very far? We've seen it over and over again. We, we, we still play around as if money is our God, and we know that the richest people in the world ain't the happiest. We know this, friends. Why do we keep acting like, even though we'll give lip service to one thing, you know what it really always comes down to is money is holding on to everything I have so tightly. The way of Jesus and the way of peace has nothing to do with accumulation. So we get to live generously and we get to laugh when other people say, why don't you just keep all the money for yourself? Well, why would I do that? I'm happier this way. I'm happier being able to live my life on behalf of others. I'm happier to be able to forgive in the midst of conflict when others might part ways. I'm happier to be able to spend my evenings caring for those who need caring for. Like, let's, let's stop acting like little acts of love are so radical, and let's make them normal for our church. It should not be difficult for us to find volunteers to care for the poor through family promise. It should not be difficult when someone gets sick, and thankfully, church, it's not to have people rush around and say, how can I help? How can I support? How can I give rides? How can I make food? We are great at that. But let's let that be the absolute norm and not the surprising radical thing. Radical to the rest of the world should be normal for Christ followers. But when we are tempted to spend all of our time and energy and money and even the words that we speak to, to just sound like everybody else, to try to get ahead in the way that everybody else thinks that getting ahead works. There is just, we're, we're missing out. We're putting on the running shoes of people who are behind us. And I don't mean that in an arrogant way. I just mean people chase after joy and contentment and peace in so many ways that are available to us because we've been made holy. We have been given the grace of God so we can live differently. This is, this is why it's, it's always going to be an issue if Christians appear just like everybody else with our common values or our way of spending time or our ways of talking about people or our ways of complaining about the humdrum of life. If we just act like everybody else, talk like everybody else, if we have stinginess and greed, lust and no self-control, these things, if we, if we don't turn to trust Jesus and say, I want to continue to live differently than the world and not rationalize selfish decisions over and over again like so many people do. This isn't about living impressively. It's about living freely and light-footedly like Lorena's people. Living lightly. Let's open our hands more in generosity. Let's talk about things that matter, friends. Let's, let's befriend people who aren't easily befriended.
Let's create spaces for differences without animosity. These are the things that will make us holy and set us apart. Let's love wholeheartedly the victim and the perpetrator. Let's pray for our enemies. Let's bless the people who intend to hurt us. These things will always be radical every day for the rest of time. They will always make us set apart like Jesus was set apart. Um, so, so here's a question. What's one absolutely wild, different, Jesus-like thing that you can do this week because you've been made holy? What's one wild, different, Jesus-like thing that you can do this week because you've been made holy by the grace of God so you're called to live holy now as a result? It doesn't have to be high and holy, just holy-ish. Just different in the way that Jesus was different. Jesus, it can be so many things. Jesus walked through life with eyes wide open to the world around him and to the opportunities that the Father was bringing. He was completely unafraid to be peculiar, to be strange, to be what, what uh, missiologist Michael Frost says, to live a questionable life. I love that. You've heard it from me before. He said, Christians ought to live the most questionable lives out of anybody out there. People should look and say, well, that's odd. That's peculiar. What's that all about? And the door opens for us in a new way to reveal Jesus. How incredible. These are the opportunities that we have. Um, by the way, when I talk about this approach to holiness, I'm not in any way suggesting that we downplay ethics or morality as an expression of holiness. It, quite the opposite. It means that we get our ethics and our morality directly from Jesus, and we express it in that character. So, so we're just letting Jesus lead us. Um, so this is the beginning of a new year, and we're talking about being set apart in new ways. So I want to encourage you toward, toward uh, two things this week and this year as you begin to pursue holiness. And in the next couple of weeks, you're going to hear us talk about what does it look like to be set apart in our work life and in our daily the areas that, the moment-by-moment moment stuff. You're going to hear, what does it mean to be set apart in the way that we relate to God, to be different than maybe religious approaches? You're going to hear those sorts of things. But from a, a, large, a large kind of high-level approach, um, I want to encourage you to, to do two things. First, I want to encourage you to slow down. Slow down, friends. Uh, lean into your inner world this year. If you can't, you cannot hear if you aren't listening, right? You can't discern the ways that God wants you to be different and unique until you stop with the craziness. Holiness is never rushed. It's willing to be interrupted. It's not so driven that it has tunnel vision. It's aware of what's going on around us. Let's be different. The world is rushed. Let's be different uh, love is what should motivate us, so we move at that pace. I'm a, I'm a runner. This is not a surprise to most of you. But when I, when I have a little bit of extra time, I'll drive south of the canal to Lower Slower Delaware. So some of us call it that. Um, as soon as you get over the canal, I'll just find a path to run. I can run on, on streets in some of those towns down there, um, or I can run along the along the river, or I can, I can run anywhere, and there's just a different feel about the people. It's kind of like, it's kind of like a little taste of down south right here in Delaware. I guess it is down south. 
to you, like Delaware, lifelong Delaware people. Are we living in the South? You guys aren't. Uh, yeah, right, the Mason-Dixon line, yeah. Um, <laughs> I guess that's what separates it. But the point being is I, I can notice sometimes how wild Newcastle County is, and it's just a part of the East Coast. Talk to any of you who grew up in, in areas that aren't in, in the Midwest and, and in other areas, and, and it's obvious that the Northeast, the Mid-Atlantic specifically, the megalopolis between Boston and D.C. is nuts, friends. And it's okay to be different than that. It's okay to take a walk. You don't even have to count your calories while you do it so that you accomplish something. Like, we have got to learn to move at a pace that is sustainable so that we can be different from the world. And even that itself sets us apart. But, but even to hear the voice of God, we have to learn how to slow down. And I know that there's a million things that you're like, but, 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 right? But my job gets me up at this time and I work long. Okay, figure it out. We all got to figure it out. You can do this. Jesus is with you. You've been made holy. You've been set free from all the laws of the world. Figure out what it looks like to slow down so that you can be in touch with Jesus. Um, the second thing is, uh, so slow down and, and be bold is what I want to encourage you. We're talking about what it means to be different. We're talking about what it means to be set apart in the ways that Jesus was. Um, you know, back to that first Peter passage, uh, the first thing that, uh, that Peter writes is prepare your minds for action. Be ready to go. He said, this, this Christian journey, listen, it's based on grace, right? Put all your hope in the gracious salvation. It's based on the fact that God's grace has rescued you. So don't worry about that, but be ready to go. Be ready to do something with your life. Be ready to do something with your actions. Be peculiar. Be radical. Be so loving that other people say, wow, that, your family does this together? Or, or you invite these people over? Or you, you join in, you do a shared meal every week with people that pray together? That's, that's weird. You know, you guys, you're sure you're not related? Oh, Okay. So, so it's like a family meal, but it's, you're not family? Okay, that's weird. You want to come join us next week? We, we have meal communities, by the way. You can become a part of one that meet weekly and encourage and, and pray for each other. Be bold. Be prepared for action. Don't be afraid. Um, it's, it's really interesting. In, uh, in 1 Peter, we're looking at 1 Peter 1. In 1 Peter 2, uh, the, just the next chapter... Peter says, live such good lives among the pagans. That's not a put down. Pagans just means people who didn't believe in, in God. That though they accuse you of wrong, they might see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So Peter has said, be ready for action. And then he says, by the way, don't be afraid to, to do good deeds publicly. Don't be afraid to be weird in front of people. You know, but, but the point is that they would see what you're doing and they would say, wow, the God you serve is beautiful. You know? What, you know what I like? You know what I want? I want people to say that, that don't share my faith. I want people to say, I don't believe in God, but it, the God you say you follow is beautiful. If they don't believe in God, that's fine. If they're not drawn to faith, that's fine. But I want them by my life to notice that if they did believe in God, wow, that God is something else makes the world more beautiful, more redeemed, more hope-filled. Uh, now, anytime we're talking about being pushed to action, 
it's probably helpful. Uh, it can move really, really, really quickly in the wrong direction because of ego and because of legalistic culture. So, so these might be two simple questions to ask yourself as I'm encouraging you to, to say, what does it look like to live boldly in a new way? Number one, any time that you do uh, radical public loving actions, we need to ask ourselves, am I doing this to look good or to trust and follow Jesus? Because we can get totally derailed by our egos if we're doing anything to, to look good, right? If our good deeds are done so that we can be impressive to people. And then the second thing is so many of you have grown up in a highly legalistic rule-following environment that when you think about, okay, what radical ways am I going to be different? How am I going to follow Jesus in a new way? Am I doing it out of legalism because I have to or out of an experience of God's grace? Because that will change how you are able to express holiness and being different and set apart. If you're doing it out of legalism, then you will be silently judging everybody that doesn't do it your way. Or you will be constantly condemned by not living up to your own expectations. But if you're doing it out of God's grace, everything is free. Everything is hopeful. You can be obedient without feeling anything crushing you down like a father that's never quite satisfied. All right. Um, I want to close by reminding you of your holy lineage that goes all the way back to the beginning. Between 250 and 270 A.D., uh, there was a, a terrible plague um, swept through the Roman Empire. Some people think it was measles, some people think it was smallpox, but, but it became known as the Plague of Cyprian. And at the height of that plague, um, after the bishop Saint, Saint Cyprian, who chronicled what was happening, 5,000 people a day died in Rome alone as a result of this plague. It also coincided with the first empire-wide persecution of Christians, under uh, Emperor uh, Decius, okay? So while there's this massive plague happening, people are dying, it's also when Christianity is outlawed, okay? So what happens when you're painting people in a certain picture, you love scapegoats, so Christians began to be blamed for the plague. It's their fault, those, those dirty, rotten Christians. They're bringing this on us for whatever reason, okay? Um, but that was undermined by two inconvenient facts at the time. Number one, Christians were dying from the plague just like everybody else. But secondly, Christians were the ones caring for the victims of the plague, unlike everybody else. Everybody else ran away and Christians cared for the victims, including their pagan neighbors, their neighbors who didn't share their faith. And many of them died as a result. This, this wasn't anything new. Christians had done the same thing during the Antonine Plague, uh, what, a century earlier. Rodney Stark wrote a great book called The Rise of Christianity. And when he, write, when he wrote that, he, he wrote that Christians stayed in the afflicted cities even when all of the leaders and physicians fled. The epidemic that many thought were, was going to lead to the end of the world actually ended up promoting the spread of Christianity because Christians were so different in the midst of a crisis. They were so holy. Christians showed their neighbors that Christianity is worth dying for, worth laying their lives down for. So what if that sort of holiness was what characterized life path? Not the kind that makes people feel beneath us because we act high and mighty and spiritually privileged, 
but the kind of holiness that leads us into radical love and care for others that raise eyebrows. So be bold and unafraid to follow Jesus, even if it makes you peculiar this year. You've already been made holy, so be holy. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful that you have come and done the hard work in setting us free from the power of condemnation and sin and death in the world. So now that we're free, help us to live differently in the way that you live differently when you walked this earth. Help us know your character so much that when people meet us and walk away from us, they get a taste of what it must have been like to be with Jesus. Draw them into your love and grace and help us to be unafraid. Amen.